Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Hello again, this is Lindsay Adams and I am here today with my good buddy, Rail Bricker, and our special guest is Devin Miller. Welcome, Devin. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. Excited to be here. Now, Devin is an IP lawyer. Um, he lives north of Salt Lake City. Uh, and he worked for a large law firm helping Fortune 100 clients with their IP, intellectual property, and um, he, he wanted to do something different. So uh, he he provides resources for startups and small business where they can learn about patents, trademarks, copyrights, how they relate to business and help them uh, grow their business. Today, we're talking about the top five tips for protecting and growing your business. So, Devin, tip number one, what have you got for us? Yeah, probably tip number one, which is the simplest and the easiest, is you know forming a, or having a business formation that would protect your business. And so that, and at least in the U.S. and there are other countries have similar type of uh, formations is going to be an LLC and S4 for a C. Um, and the main reason you do that is because what a, um, a business for, or a business does when you form a business is it shields you from personal liability. So in other words, if somebody had come along and they wanted to sue you, they said, hey, I got injured by your product or your service was faulty or you misrepresented things or you, in, or you infringed my intellectual property or anything of that nature, they can come after you and they can sue you. Well, if you have a business form or business formation in place, they can sue the business, but they can't sue you personally. Vice versa, if you don't have that in place, then when they come after you, they can come after your house, your car, your life savings, your retirement, everything else. And so the one of the simpler is usually not overly complex to get something simple set up, but it's oftentimes some people just will jump over, say, hey, I just want to get the business going. I'll just do it as an individual. They never remember to circle back to that step. And then when they ever, if they ever run into problems, then they have that issue. Okay. So, Devin, let me ask you a question. Um, in Australia, which is obviously mm -hmm. where Lindsay and I are based, we have, um, we companies or corporations take out directors and officers insurance, mm -hmm. which protects them by and large, unless it's fraudulent, against those type of lawsuits because Australian law allows the directors to be enjoined in litigation. So 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 you're saying that in the in the US particularly that doesn't really apply? It it doesn't kind of. I'll give you the lawyer answer which is it depends. And so theoretically it doesn't apply. In other words, in theory if it's a business that does something then it's only the business that you can go after. So you can't go after the other individuals. Now in reality They'll still, you know, and when you file a lawsuit, you just basically try and name as many people as you can to scare them to try and pull them in. And it almost shifts the onus over to those each of those individuals. And so what, you know, where the balance comes in is that, to your point, you said there's kind of caveat. If you if the business directors did something fraudulent, if they did something, misrepresented something, if they did something on an individual that they shouldn't, there are those exceptions to what the business or what the LLC formation and the business formation will cover. And so a lot of times businesses will get that secondary insurance in place basically to let the people know that the decision makers, you know, like the CEO or the um, board of directors or different things and say, hey, even if you make a mistake or you mess up and some of these other things, you'll still largely be covered. And so you can have that as kind of a secondary insurance. So it's almost like a supplemental insurance. So a lot of times businesses will carry it. Um, but if you were to conduct the business properly and not do anything that would get you in trouble, uh, you would be uh, covered or by having just simply having the LLC or the, the business formation. Okay, so 
So you formed the business. So what's the next step in protecting and growing your business? Yeah. So the next step, and I, and then I'll probably some of these will get to eventually the intellectual property, but I'm feeling like we're setting up the stage a little bit before that, which is the next one is, is the simple one, which is, I guess it's simple. It's figuring out your brand, but then how to protect your brand. So usually that's the next step is you're going to say, okay, what are we going to be? What is the name of the business going to be? Or what is, or what are we going to build a brand around? And then how do we protect that? And so before you ever, and we'll get to trademark later on the list, but the one of the, the first things is people don't often think about, and they a lot of times will get it backwards, is I need or go get a URL. Pretty simple, straightforward. You go to GoDaddy or one of the other service providers, you purchase the URL, and yet oftentimes people will do that in reverse order. Well, they'll build a brand, they'll get the, every all the materials in place, and they'll say, hey, we should probably get a website and think, well, we, you know, if we go get a trademark or we'll otherwise be able to just go and get ownership of it, they jump over that step and then lo and behold, they don't have the rights to a URL that is for their business or someone else owns it. And then it causes that confusion. So usually I would form the business, get the name of it, go out, get the URL, and you can do those interchangeably. Sometimes you'll get the URL first so you can have that locked down before you go do or form the business. But that'd be the next one. To make sure that you are you have the ownership of the places online is going to direct to your brand. It's an interesting one, Devin. Uh, when I when I started out a long, long, long time ago, the first thing I did was grab the URLs lindsayadams.com and lindsayadams.com.au. There's a female comedian in the US who is very unhappy with me because I've got the .com uh, called Lindsay Adams. <laughs> anyway, that's life, eh? Okay, so. Um, Tip number three. Yeah, so now if I were to have LLC in place, if I had the URL in whichever order you want to do those, um, then the next one, was I would start to jump on to what is the intellectual property. And so that one is going to then usually breaking down, then I'll kind of give the tip number three. You can fall into kind of three different buckets, which are patents, trademarks, copyrights. Patents are going to protect your brand, or your, sorry, patents are going to protect your invention. Trademarks are going to protect your brand and copyrights are going to protect your creative. And so at this point, you're really gonna look and say, okay, got those two things in place, now what is the value of the business? And so depending on, you know, we'll cover kind of the next three tips would be for each one of those, depending on the business, but you would look and say, okay, are we really an invention business? Do we have a cool product that's innovative, that's unique and different that sets us apart? Okay, then you'd probably say our core of our business is patents or is inventions and we need to get a patent. Vice versa, you may say, you know, we really just more of a branding business. You know, we have a good reputation. We know how to get ourselves out there. We're marketing and sales. And so we're going to go more towards a trademark to protect our brand. Or you may be doing the next big podcast or video or book or painting or sculpture and something of that that's on the creative side. You said, okay, now I need to, or the core of my business is really on the creative side and that's what I'm going to protect. So those will be kind of the next three interchangeable steps. And so maybe this will put the, as a third one would be patents. And so. That's oftentimes when you're looking at, you've created a new gadget, a new apparatus. It can be software, it can be hardware, it can be mechanical, it can be food related, it can be chemistry. It's a pretty broad, you know, coverage, medical device, pharmaceuticals. Um, but then you're going to say, okay, if we're going to put in what is a lot of time, time, money and effort, blood, sweat and tears into that invention, you're going to go get a patent. And the patent you basically will go, you'll go through a process of applying with, for it with the government. And then you're going to, during that application process, go through an examination, 
where you're going to determine that that's patentable. And then if so, you have basically these countries a bit different, but around 20 years, depending on the country, where they say, okay, you have the ownership of this invention, somebody else were to come along, knock it off, rip it off, you'd have recourse to stop them from selling or making that same product. Okay, but is patent, if you file a patent in the US, do you have to file it in, you know, 186 other countries? Um, if you wanted protect, if you planned on selling your product and your and your business was going to be having customers 186 countries, then I guess the answer would be yes. Now that's in theory because I, when I worked even for uh, I had clients of Amazon, Intel, and uh, Ford and others, even them as big as they were, they didn't go to 186 countries because they're saying the market size, their potential customer base isn't going to be that big. So you're not going to do it. So really, when you're saying which the short answer is you need to have, you have to file separate patent applications in these country, but most of the time you're going to have, especially when you're starting out, a few, one or a few of select countries that you're really going to have your potential customer base in. So give me an example of one of the clients. We have one client that's really based in the U.S. and 90, 95% of their customer base is located in the U.S. Yes, they have five or 10% other places, but they're saying it doesn't make sense to focus on that small portion of the potential customer pool with a patent on those countries because most of our, our customers are here. Have another client that is in the medical device and they are saying, hey, we're really split between the US and Europe, the EU, and both of those are pretty similar in size. And so they wouldn't got patents in both places. And so it's really much more of, hey, it doesn't make sense to invest in getting a patent in 186 different countries, but more of where is a predominant or large portion of your customer base. Is this an expensive process, Devin? I mean, I, um, I guess it's a how long's a piece of string question, but when, you, when you're a small business startup, is this something that you're going to go, oh, my God, I need a fortune, or, or is it, you know, give, me, give us a, an idea? Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Expensive is always in the eye of the beholder, right? If you're a huge yeah, company with a big budget, you're going to say a few thousand dollars isn't that expensive. It's just, yeah. it's, you know, kind of just a write-off. And the other time when you're a startup or a small business, a few thousand dollars can be what you really have set aside to get the business going. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is does vary kind of country by country specific. Some countries have higher fees. Some countries have lower fees. If you were to take the U.S. as an example, um, you're probably from start to finish on average somewhere between ten to $12,000. Um, so if you are to say, okay. you know, that's not all up front, it's spread over. The other thing with patents is you're usually spreading it over about a time frame of 18 to 24 months on average. And so you're going to say, Get you started, you're at about 6,500. Get through to the about the halfway or most of the way through the process, you're about another 4,000. And then as it gets issued as a patent, you're another couple thousand. So 10 to 12,000. Some people that's a ton of money. Other people, it's you know, it's part of the investment. Yeah, 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 That's kind of how you look at it. Most countries are going to be reasonably similar. Yeah. Okay. Um, So let's move on then. Tip number four. What have you got for us? Yeah, so that would be kind of building. So I said, got the three areas, patents, trademarks, copyrights. And so assuming that you either don't need a patent because you haven't invented anything new or you check the box for patent, the next area would be trademarks. So trademarks are going to protect, as I mentioned, the brand. And so that was going to be typically the name of a company, name of a product, a catchphrase, a logo, something along those lines are going to be a part of your brand. You know, you think of some of the big companies, 
M&M. They have a trademark for the word M&M. They have a logo and they also have a catchphrase of melt in your mouth, not in your hand, right? So they have three yeah. different trademarks. They have a lot more than three, but three that here easily come to mind. You know, same thing with Pepsi. They have a trademark for Pepsi and their logo. Coke has one, Apple has one, Amazon. So all of these, even if they inventive, they also have their brand. And yet you're saying, you know, those are expensive brands. You know, a lot of times they'll have clients that come into the office and they want to say, hey, what I want to do is I want to go create a new product and I want to use the Disney characters. I want to use the Marvel characters. And I don't really need to go get the permit or how can I do it without having to pay for them for a license? <laughs> short answer is you can. And that's because they are, they have spent a lot of time, money and effort building that brand, building that reputation, making it recognizable. And that's a value and an asset to them. And Vice versa, just to that, when you're starting out, that's most of the time what you're intending to do as a business. Unless you're saying, hey, I'm just a local mom and pop shop that just serves, you know, the very local community, you're different or a different story. But most of the time you're saying, hey, we're going to build into a different size. We're going to go online. We're going to be selling different areas. Then you're really looking to establish a brand that people are going to recognize, they're going to trust as a good product. And that's where you get the trademarks. And so trademarks are really set up to protect those. And so that would be kind of the fourth tip is as you're looking to build a brand and as you're getting that you're well-defined and nailed down, you're going to want to make sure to trademark it such that you don't, or you don't invest all that time building a brand only to not have it protected. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting, Devin. So when I started out as a professional speaker, my, you know, marketing guy, graphics guy came up with the slogan, give your business the edge. Mm -hmm. And then I heard, um, you know, I th it was even before I'd interviewed you on the previous podcast, but, you know, someone talking about trademarking. And so I applied to trademark that. And that was after having websites and everything else done up for about three years. And it was my application for the trademark was rejected because the words were too commonly used. Yeah, and that is that is a fair rejection. And you know, when you think about a brand, it's it it should be, and what it's intended intended or set up to be is identifying of the source of the product or service that's being offered. And so, if you're to think of you know giving your or giving you the edge, a lot of people use it. You're probably you know most customers are going to say that's such a well used term. It's going to be everybody's going to use it, as opposed to you know melts in your mouth got, or not in your hand, you really only think of one product, right? You don't think of a whole lot of others, you think of M&M's or if you think, so when you're looking at it, you it has to be tied to a brand and otherwise when people think of it, when they see it, whether it's a logo or a name or anything else, they tie it with a brand or it identifies who is the provider of this product or service. If it meets that standard and nobody else has previously trademarked it, then you can get it vice versa as a well-used term that everybody uses then you're going to have a more difficult time so uh three years ago uh myself and a couple of other professional speakers set up a new association called the virtual speakers association international vsai for short right mm -hmm. we originally called it the virtual international speakers association visa until we got a letter from a company called visa <laughs> saying <laughs> if you keep using those letters we're you we're going to end up in court uh anyway we changed it around um it's probably good. even if even there's sometimes that it always brings up an interesting uh, question because 
to some degree, sometimes you can be in the right. In other words, you can say, hey, people are really not going to mistake us for Visa. We offer completely different products and services, and you could probably legally be in the right. And yet, on the other hand, they're going to be a much bigger gorilla in the, the marketplace, and they're going to have the ability to take you through years of court, outspend you, and really drag you through. And so sometimes it's as much of, is this a battle worth fighting, or is it better to just simply rebrand? Correct. Correct. So, Devin, so we've gone through the patents, the trademarks. What's the third of the trifecta of protecting your and growing your business? Yeah, so the third of the trifecta would be our copyright. And so this is really going to be, as I mentioned, kind of anything that's on the creative side or the creative nature. So some of those that fall into it is a book, a movie, a podcast, a sculpture, a painting, a photograph. All of those and a lot of others can fall into the creative or creative. And so sometimes you're saying, well, we don't really have anything creative and say, okay, well, have you spent, you know, have you taken a lot of product photos that are going to be valuable to your business, you know, that are unique? Do you have a video that you did that went viral that is, you know, that or a commercial or something of that nature? Um, do you have a book that you've written for your business? Do you do, you know, podcasts on a weekly basis that you're going to want to protect because some of them are just getting a, a, a large audience? And all of those things are protected under copyright. Now, just because you have pictures or, or videos or you wrote a book doesn't necessarily mean you're going to want to go out and run out and get a copyright on it because it may not have a whole lot of value. In other words, yeah, I may have a product photo. Somebody else were to come along and rip it off. I'm just going to say, hey, it's not that unique. Yes, it shows well with our business or our product or service, but it's really not going to have that much value that I'm going to want to protect or to go after. Vice versa, you may have something, hey, this is a really unique video or, video or a really unique picture really unique you know book that we wrote making a lot of money off of it and you want to protect it so that's going to be kind of your third as far as the trifecta is you really if you're saying hey we've created or have a creative that really is unique that it captures a portion of the business that's valuable then you're going to want to protect it via copyright okay so so here's a question you you write a, a manuscript or no a a developer model let's say for, for professional speaking lots of us have models that we'd like to protect because we came up with them at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and we thought it was pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, how tight is copyright? So, I mean, what I mean is you, you, you perfect model A and then you decide, oh, but maybe I want to tweak it slightly. Does that require the whole process to be done again? Um, it's a hard, it's a good question. It's a hard one because it depends on what you're tweaking. So let's say, let's say you take, the seven habits of highly effective people, right? Well known, a lot of people read the book and, and gone to the seminars. And if you're to change one of those seven habits or you added an eighth habit, you're probably gonna want to get a new copyright or otherwise adjust it because it is a major portion of that model that you're doing. On the other hand, you say, no, yeah, we have the seven habits. And in the book, we changed the paragraph to further illustrate or provide an additional example. Well, in that case, you know, yes, it's additional example, but really, it's not going to be core to the, what's being copyrighted or the material. It's just going to kind of embellish it or provide additional information. And in that case, you're going to say, hey, it's, yes, it's a bit newer. It's a bit different. But I'll probably wait until I either make more changes or substantive changes and then capture that. One. So it's kind of one where if you're starting from scratch and you're building a model, then you'd probably consider it. If you're just looking to say, hey, it's a, a small variation or iteration as I go through the process, not so much. 
Devin, very interesting. One of my jobs on this podcast is to keep us to time, and sadly, we are done. Should our listeners want to get in touch with you and maybe get some advice on um, how to protect their IP, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so a um, couple ways that you can reach out to me. Um, if you don't mind, I'll give you a couple. Um, so one is if they want to do a strategy meeting or a free consultation. So we offer 15-minute consults. And if they're saying, hey, we're not even in the U.S., we have clients throughout all the world. We have clients in the U.S. that go abroad and, and, and we work with. We have a clients that are abroad that come to the U.S. and all the very different variations of it. So if you have some questions, I may or may not be always be able to help you, but I'd definitely love to do a strategy meeting to see either if I can help you or point in the right direction. You can go to strategymeeting.com. Um, that links right to my calendar. It goes to an online uh, scheduler that you can grab a day and time and uh, we can set up a, a virtual meeting. Or if you're in Utah, you can set up a, in, or a in-office meeting. Um, the other one is, you know, there's a lot of social media platforms out there. The one that I'm the most active on is going to be LinkedIn. That's the one that I tend to like more just because it's business related. Um, so if you want to connect up with me on uh, LinkedIn, you just go to meetmiller.com. So want to do a one-on-one -on -one consult, just go to strategymeeting.com. Want to meet or connect with me on LinkedIn, just go to meetmiller.com. Thank you very much, Devin. And it's been a pleasure as usual because we've done this before on the Business Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Devin Miller from Utah for joining us on the Top 5 podcast. Thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Top 5 podcast.